mean, someone's got to know. You can't have a big fat ship landing in a naval port and everyone going, I didn't see it really. You know, don't know what it was. Thought it was a yacht. You know, thought it was the beginning of the Cape Tereo. Mark, hi, good morning. Morning, Jim. From a, looks like a rainy week in Johannesburg. I thought we didn't get rain in May, but there's a song about that once. Oh, who is that? Yeah. I didn't know the song. In the Karoo, you'll be happy to know, there's no rain. <laughs> and there's usually no rain, and it's every day is another day of no rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, to add to the otherwise excitement, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. My name is Tim Cohen. I'm the editor of Business Maverick. I'm speaking, as we do, Every week with Mark Barnes, who's an investment banker, we just talk about stuff, usually the kind of main events of the week. And the main event of this past week by a country mile was the allegation by the US ambassador that South Africa has been selling Russia something. We don't know what. It's very tantalizing. But anyway, we apparently loaded some of this something onto a ship called Lady R, which is like a very weird name for a ship. But anyway... And it went back to Russia. And now there's a big debate about a zillion aspects of this. Should the U.S. ambassador be booted? Number one. Number two, did we do it or did we not do it? Number three, what was it that we did if we did anything? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about all of this? First of all, <laughs> something happened. Okay. Either this boat is just a courier service for Russia. So this was on its way to some other place and we were loading some other things on it. One thing we know for sure is that we've exported some of our generals to Russia to go on a training course. There's obviously some military liaison happening, whether you like uh, whatever guys it might take it off. Yeah. My view is, first of all, we got to know the facts, okay? I mean, someone's got to know, okay? I mean, you can't have a big fat ship landing in a naval port and everyone going, I didn't see it really. You know, don't know what it was. Thought it was a yacht. You know, thought it was the beginning of the Cape Tereo. No, no, but it's a big fat Russian frigate. Okay. It's not something you can deny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the giveaway point is that the ship switched off its transponder. All ships, obviously, on the sea, because yeah. you don't want to bash into each other, yeah. switch on their transponder. So they, it was on its way from Russia around the Cape. Yeah. Yeah. It turned off its transponder, doubled back, went into Simonstown, and then there was a loading process. I mean, I think it's a bit rich for the South Africans to say, oh, we did, oh, really? I mean, you know, this happened three months ago. Yeah. I mean, you, you would expect somebody to get off their ass and try and find out exactly what it was. I mean, it's in South Africa's interest to know what was on that damn thing. Either that or we're lying. We're just lying because we're supposed to be neutral and we're not. Well, first of all, if you time your arrival to coincide with load shedding, it doesn't matter whether your transponder is on or off, okay? Because so, we won't know, okay? That's the first thing you've got to work out. And then I must say that I thought, oh, Brigitte Frigate, the American bowtied ambassador to South Africa, was online. He kind of like got ahead of himself. And as it turns out, he's bet his life on the truth here yes. or on his version of what happened. And so... That's a fairly bold statement, if not ill-informed. So I'm convinced something did happen. I don't think they came here to use our beaches or to watch the rugby because we weren't even in the final at that stage. Okay, so <laughs> own up, man. Just say, yeah, listen, what we had is we had this and that and the next thing and can we move on and it was legal or not. Unless it was illegal and wrong, in which case denial is also illegal and wrong. So we are in a mess.
And I can tell you the other thing is this. Two other points. One I read somewhere, I think it was in Peter Bruce's column, that we manufacture goods which are NATO compliant. And so they wouldn't work in Russia in tanks and stuff like that. I don't know the substance in that. You know? And you know, the second thing is, if this does result in any kind of sanctions, then you know, we've got whatever it is, hundreds of billions of rand of trade which are at risk. Yes. So we're in a mess, another mess. As far as I know, honestly, and this is very speculative, although our arms and ammunition really wouldn't fit Russian weapons normally, some of it might, but it's more likely that what was sold here was electronic equipment. The focus now is on these sort of transponders for navigation, for flight navigation, which is made here. There is stuff here that is made here that they would want. I don't think we should be here. Yeah. It's not just the fact that we use 762 and they use... I think warfare has become far more technological than you know some of us are up to date on. I mean, for example, the use of drones, I find that quite terrifying. No, no, no. It's extraordinary. Just because you can you can literally fly a drone up to some oak walking in the street and shoot him, you know, yeah. at immediate range. And so it can be very, very selective or very, very pervasive. A storm of drones rushes into a city with, you know, pre-identified personal targets. And so this technology, this and this AI-assisted technology, we should talk about AI's advances a bit as well. It's a different kind of warfare. And I think it is going to be less and less conventional and more and more technological. All of this relates to a rather to the larger question of South Africa's international relations. And I was very entertained, if I can just do a little punt, by an interview with a with a Russian author whose name is Mikhail Shishkin. And he's just written a book very timely called My Russia War and Peace. He does a kind of historical look back. You know, it's part of the problem is that we we don't really understand Russia very well. I mean, he says Russia is not a, you know, the, the, the famous Churchill quote, Russia is not a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. It's actually very explicable. And the explicable thing is that, you know, Russians for generations have had this very ambivalent relationship. There's a big division between the Russian state and the Russian populace. One of the very interesting aspects of this conflict is that there's actually very little, there are very few protests inside Russia about it, and the protests that there are are very small. And that's very historic, according to Shishkin, anyway. Our excitement's coming in August. Yeah. When and if Putin arrives, are we going to put him in jail? Okay. (laughs) And I read somewhere that some senior Russian civil servant had said that if we arrest Putin, that will be considered an act of war. Okay. And you would have thought, They've got their hands pretty full with wars going on around <laughs> that they've initiated. You know, so uh, can you only imagine the confusion yes. when they come here to declare war on us when we arrest Putin, and then they discover that we're supplying them the bullets and stuff, and so they, it's just a mess. Okay, we don't know what to be. Anyway, uh, I, I don't understand enough of it, man. My guess is that Putin won't come. I just think it's too risky for him to leave Russia at this point. They'll find a way around it. Oh, there's Zoom and all that stuff, man. Don't they know about Zoom? <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. Yeah. You would think. Quite a Zoom, man. Hey, put, quite a Zoom there. But okay, <laughs> save you lots of travel and war and stuff like that, man. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our next topic, which is, you know, ESCOM just won't leave us alone. The former CEO of ESCOM has just now written a book. That was very quick, you have to say. Yeah. There's lots of extracts floating around. I mean, there is some stuff in it that is just extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for example, he in one of the book extracts, 
He says that in 20 years in the oil business, I never heard of the company. Yet here it was uh, Eskom's procurement department recommending that we award them a fuel oil tender to the tune of 432 million rand. It's thanked to yeah. high heaven. It does underline that, you know, whatever you think of Dorator, the stuff going on inside Eskom is just extraordinary. Well, I mean, it is extraordinary. And to be honest, I mean, that's not a case I imagine in isolation, you know. The awarding of tenders and the process that's driven not by fair market value, which is the issue, and not by merit of supplier, but by a tender mechanism, which is overseas and which can award things based on things other than merit and fair market price. That is a fundamental flaw in the supply chain management of government. Okay. And, you know, when I was involved in that space, I insisted on us first finding fair market value and competent target suppliers before we even sent anything out to tender. And that did help us filter what we saw. Anyway, I don't know which countries in now. wouldn't tell us on the interview on Carte Blanche, but it's a very interesting case study of what's going to happen, you know, because now, of course, they're going to go like, well, if you knew all of this stuff, why didn't you say it before? And so on and so on. And you say, I imagine that this book was just the coming together of copious notes that he must have kept over the years you know, just in case. Yes. And so it was quite easy to gather those into a book as his defense. It doesn't bode well. And let's let's see. You know what worries me about this is that sometimes we labor under a misapprehension about the powers of the most senior executives in a company. I was sort of contradicting myself a little bit because I was talking last week about how important leadership is. And of course, it's important, but it's very clear now that we learn more and more about ESCOM, is that the problem isn't necessarily just the leadership. We're talking about a very rank-and-file problem. You know, we, yeah. most companies actually run. The direction is set by the leadership, but the actual running, the day-to-day -day running of the thing is handled by middle managers who are actually a very important part of the system. If you have problems there, then you're really in the poop. In so many places, we don't have leadership. We have followership. Yeah. And in fact, you know, what tends to happen is that weak leaders appoint weak followers. Yes. And so that they can perpetuate the naughtiness that is outside the strategy or outside the public utterances. And so it is, it's an entire network of complicit failure. And once you become the co-accused, you're in the net and trapped in that net. And so it's going to take an extraordinary kind of explosive opening to correct this. And that's where Thankfully, we still have freedom of speech and a free press. Yeah. Because I think the onus is going to rest on them to continue diligently exposing the truth and challenging the lies. You know, I think, I think this point, you, you know, you could extrapolate it not just to ESCOM, but to government as a whole. I think the previous conventional wisdom, I mean, I'm just talking off the top of my head here, but I think the previous conventional wisdom was that the big problem with the ANC was the leadership. And if we got a leadership change and we got a new set of leaders in, you know, that would make all the difference. Yeah. But actually, it's not that simple. And we have some, there's some very good leaders in the ANC and, and in government, including, I still think, I still have confidence in the president, maybe less so, but still, I do think the general point is that, you know, when problems run deep, they run very deep. And the South Africans are beginning to just be aware of the, you know, the missing middle, the sort of competent people at provincial, municipal level. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that goes to 
you know, what sort of education people are getting and, and the quality of artisans and the people who are actually on the ground doing stuff. Is there, is there a sufficient understanding of what's operationally efficient and appropriate? Anyway, one of our biggest issues here is deferring addressing issues. The lack of action. And, you know, if we have to have yet another committee to investigate yet another thing, we just defer and we defer across the board. And particularly in the application of justice and, you know, famously, Justice deferred is justice denied. It seems to me these court cases go on forever, which brings me on to the latest thing about court cases, which is there's an interesting you know, debate going on about whether a particular witness is entitled to be heard in private and not be you know, subject to the media. And I don't think it's a, an open and shut case. You know, if it is that you fear for your life because you're going to say things and then you're going to leave the court and walk home or otherwise have to lock yourself in a cell to protect yourself, it's beyond just, you know, the question of freedom of access of information. What are your thoughts on that, Tim? Well, there's that old adage, of course, that, you know, justice must not only be done, it must be seen to be done. And that's why state court proceedings are sort of held in the open, because, you know, the accused also has rights, right? Yeah. Yeah. They also need to know and see who they are being accused by and to hear the allegations and to answer them if they can. We're developing a phobia to being public. It's not just in court proceedings. Our lives are massively open now. Mm. You know, what we buy, where we go, where we are, what we're thinking, you know, what we're seeing, you know, it's, it's kind of oppressive. I find it yeah, um, invasive. slightly disconcerting. Of course, you're slightly affected by your own inevitable vanity. But then, you know, at a certain point, it just becomes overwhelming. Uninvited. Uninvited. I get calls and I get messages and I get all sorts of things all day uninvited. And I was listening to a presentation on Uber the other day where the guy said, you should understand that continuously Uber knows where you are. Yes. And it's not just Uber. And I, you know, I kind of want Uber to know where I am so then come fetch. But, but everyone knows where you are and what you're doing. And I, you know, I took a screenshot of an article that I'd written and the phone prompted me to say, are you sure you don't want to use the app for that? <laughs> I'm like, how did you know I took a photograph of you, man? Hey? I mean, seriously, I was like, what? Who's watching? You know, I mean, no. And everyone's watching, you know. And, and you know, AI, and AI is becoming, it's a very interesting debate. It's a useful tool. But in the wrong hands, we've talked about it, so let's not go there again, but in the wrong hands, and if we allow it to creep up on us, then bots become part of you know, the population, more so than they, than they already are. But yeah, I mean, just go back once more to this TV and court thing. I, you know, someone, someone asked the question about you know, Dr. Magaduma, always appearing, you know, looking her, her very best, something about you know, court. Bloom or, or something. Yeah, prison, prison glow up. <laughs> prison glow up, someone said. Yeah, and, and it seems to me prison just ate what it used to be. Okay, you can have your own salon there. You can conduct your business from prison, you know, and you get food provided and so on. Yes. And Wi Fi is free for all. And uh, it seems to me, you know, that best uh, was just a case in point, but it seems to me that prison is now porous. What interests me about Bester is, why did he bother to escape? You know, he, he was doing such good business yeah. there <laughs> from his cell. Yeah, he had yeah, from <laughs> the safety and comfort of your own cell. Yeah. He had free accommodation, yeah. his own version of ADT guarding him all the time. So, you know, nobody could come and steal his computer. Hey, listen, there's an election in 2024. Oh, dear. That's all we can say. Yeah. 
All righty, Mark. Well, thanks very much. That was fun as always. All right. Look after yourself. And I mean, there is now apparently a bot which will help you uh, find uh, your perfect mate. So, you know, the partnership opportunities are now infinite. There's always the future to look forward to. I can't imagine anything worse than have a robot select for me a partner. <laughs> I, I just can't. Or to find myself as a selectee <laughs> in the AI search for partners. Okay. I would quite like it. I mean, yeah, I, but you live in the Karoo. You live in the Karoo. No one's going to find you, mate. You may as well have a bot assisted partnership search. Although I think you might get into trouble for that. Anyway, I'm a little bit wary of it. Not that I've tried it, actually. But maybe dating a robot is the final answer. Exactly. You know, forget about finding a partner, a human partner. Just date a robot with an on off switch. <laughs> you get bored very quickly. Yeah. Mark. Thanks, man. Later. Yeah, till next week. Look forward to it. Cheers, man. Cheers. This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network. The biggest pod network, network on the continent. For sales inquiries, please, please contact, contact us at info at africapodcastnetwork.com.